All right, we are back on the College 12-pack. I am your host, Patrick Hahn, senior editor of the College Wires. With me, as always, Tyler Natuno, LSU Tigers Wire, and for the win. Uh, Tyler, this was a crazy weekend, and we're going to kick things off right here as we recap Week 8, Penn State, Ohio State. And really the big takeaway, team with Marvin Harrison beats team without Marvin Harrison because that was really the difference in this game. Uh, but as we as we're going to have a lot of questions here, one of my questions I'm going to ask you is Drew Alar bad or is Ohio State's defense good? And my second question, has Penn State hit the ceiling with James Franklin, who is now one in nine against Ohio State in his 10 years uh, in Happy Valley? Yeah. So, I mean, on the first one, like, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, I think that Ohio State's defense is incredible. I think we've seen that now. Uh, they've played in enough of these big games that I think it's safe to say this is a championship caliber Ohio State defense. With that being said, I think it's also pretty clear that Drew Aller is not ready for moments like this. And I, I'm not even trying to be like overly critical of, of him. This is his first year as a full-time starter. Like this is a tough game on the road. He didn't have his best game. You know, Penn State really struggled to move the ball in this one. Um, and that ultimately cost them in a game where their defense actually also played really, really well, I thought. You know, I said going into the game that I thought the key would be, you know, Kyle McCord having a big game. He didn't really do that. You know, he just kind of made enough plays and, and got the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. when he needed to. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think I think it's safe to say that, that this offense is not where it needs to be for this to be a playoff contending team. I mean, we'll see what happens against Michigan, but that's kind of what it looks like right now. Um, but also Ohio State defensively is just maybe the best team in the entire country. Um, you know, looking at the second part, I think it's, you know, I think it's worth having that kind of conversation. I mean, look, they win that they win the Big Ten in 2016. That's kind of the main thing he's hanging his hat on at this point. And that was seven years ago. You know, it's been a while since they've really done something of substance. You know, last season, winning 11 games kind of ended what was looking like a slide, you know. So I think that he, you know, I think that. I think it's possible that they have, you know, it's tough being in this division. And I think that it's going to get easier when these divisions go away and you're not having to beat out Ohio state and Michigan every year. But with that being said, the big 10 is going to be good. You know, there's going to be good teams at the top and I don't know where this thing is trending under James Franklin. You look at it. Uh, like I said, one and nine against Ohio state, uh, three and three and six against Michigan. And the only reason that Penn state even went to the Rose bowl last year was because you're two, the two teams that you could not beat last year. Ohio State and, Penn, uh, and uh, Michigan were both in the college football playoff. So they get that opportunity to play in the Rose Bowl in the game against Utah, in which they won, um, and, and looked like the better team than Utah in, in that game, clearly, uh, with, with the running game of Nicholas Singleton. But yeah, going back to Drew Alar, uh, it, it's interesting to me. I, you know, I think he's a talented quarterback, and I, I think he will do well. But I think when you talk about the moment, the lights being too bright for him, I mean, it, it, that looks like clearly – um, but when you look at these teams and I, and I just pulled up the 24 uh, seven team composite rankings where they, where they take the entire roster and break it down by 12 stars, four stars, five stars, Ohio state clearly is the best team at, at, at getting five stars. And then right behind them, it's Penn state, but the talent gap, especially at your key position, especially the wide receiver. Um, I mean, we, 
we see Ohio State year in and year out get any wide receiver they want, it seems like, five-star after five-star. Um, and their second-best guy didn't even play in this game. And it makes me wonder if if uh, Emeka Egbuka had played in this game, how much worse could it have gotten uh, for Penn State? While they are good defensively, it is hard to keep those guys down, especially a guy like uh, Maserati Marv, as Gus Johnson kept calling him. <clears throat> Marvin Harrison Jr., there was no stopping that man. They they tried to take him away, and he still found ways to burn him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so key to what Ohio State's doing because they still have a young quarterback. They're still kind of figuring things out offensively and leaning a lot lot on the run but when they have to throw the ball it's really nice to have a guy you know an outlet like Marvin Harrison Jr. to get the ball to and make big plays you know I think you make an interesting point you know I mean obviously Ohio State is the most talented team um, in this conference year in and year out from a recruiting perspective Penn State does a really good job and you know maybe that's a knock against him in the sense that they're underachieving but I think it could also be kind of a tally in his favor because at the end of the day you know he does recruit enough talent for them to be competitive in these games it could you know things could get worse and you're talking about you know such a league that's so good at the top like i mean if you're getting rid of james franklin you better have something pretty impressive in mind to replace him because it's not an easy you know it's not it's not like anyone can walk in and turnkey do what james franklin has done here yeah it's it's not uh, so much a knock on on franklin it's just is this the ceiling is an 11 win season you're going to have, you know, he's had several of those uh, in his tenure. He's had four seasons where he's won 11 games. But I think only having the one season in which they won the the Big Ten, uh, and that year he was 11-3 and three that year, and they went into the Rose Bowl, uh, got beat by USC that year. I, I just, when I'm looking at this at these teams and looking at playing against the, the top competition, he's not winning. Uh, he hasn't beaten Michigan in two years. Uh, he hasn't beaten, you know, Ohio State in, I think, seven years now. I mean, seven straight wins. Uh, never beaten Ryan Day. Uh, and when you look at everything involved, if they want to compete, they're going to, if they want to win big 10 titles and get in the national championship picture, they've got to start winning those games. And I think, unfortunately, they have got to find a way uh, to get some better receivers or, or do something that can help Alar out because otherwise it's going to be continued to look like this. Um, for Penn State, who is still has everything in front of them, New Year's Six Bowl um, that they could get into. But right now, as far as the playoffs for this year, it's probably not going to happen for them. Uh, talking about another team who had expectations and aspirations to get into the college football playoff, it is looking bad for USC, who has now lost to Utah three straight times. For whatever reason, Lincoln Riley cannot solve this team. Uh, and unfortunately, once again, uh, the offense showed up in this game. Caleb Williams was able to do some things in this game. Alex Grinch, my guy, why are you still here? Uh, yeah, you know, it happened again. We talked about this last week. Neither of us thought it was going to happen again. We both thought USC was going to win this game pretty comfortably, uh, but it happened again. Look, this was really bad for USC's defense. I don't think it can be understated that this was a Utah offense that had really been struggling. Um, they had not played well at all in recent weeks. It had been a real struggle to get anything going. They come into this game against USC. They put up almost 500 yards in this game. Just unacceptable from, from USC. You know, if this were Cam Rising, it's a different story, but it wasn't. You know, it was Bryson Barnes who has had a really up and down season, but was fantastic in this game. You know, a legacy game for him, a former walk on. You know, after the game, Kyle Whittingham, 
said, you know, he's like, they've got a Heisman winner quarterback. We've got a pig farmer quarterback and we like the pig farmer. So really awesome game for Utah. You know, they, they played really well in spite of the fact that, like you said, Caleb had a good game. It wasn't really his fault that they lost. Didn't have a passing touchdown, but it wasn't, you know, the, the meltdown game we saw against Notre Dame last week. Um, but you know, they have to ultimately kind of fight to come back in this game. You know, they can't put it away. Utah goes down and kicks that field goal to win. I mean, looking at two losses already for USC, looking at what they've got ahead, man, like it's tough. It's, it's tough. Like it's frustrating if you're a USC fan. I mean, they're, they're kind of wasting this team. Lincoln has wasted a window with, you know, one of the better college quarterbacks we've seen in a while on, on, you know, a defense that that isn't great. And also, you know, I think this team is missing some playmakers too on offense this year that they had last year. Yeah, it definitely, it, it's interesting because like you said, it was another meltdown because you score 10 points in the final three minutes of the game in, in, in a game when you're losing at that point, 31-23, you score 10 points, you get ahead of them. Uh, it, it's just, it's, I have a hard time figuring out why, Alex Grinch is still there considering he is the reason why they have lost to Utah three times. The offensive has been able to do what they wanted to a point. I mean, they did get blown out by Utah last year, uh, especially in that championship game, but they played two close games, you know, against Utah in the regular season. And both times you can point right to Alex Grinch and say, this is your fault. This is why we're losing these games. Um, you know, last week against Notre Dame, it was more of the offense, but it, it was almost felt like it went back to the norm this week. Yeah, and this one feels even so much harder to swallow than those games last year because, like I said earlier, those games last year, you ha- Utah had Cam Rising, you know, who's really good. Not to say Bryson Barnes doesn't have potential, but it's clearly, you know, they're clearly limited at the quarterback position without Cam Rising, who, by the way, they, they announced after the game is, is done for the year. He's not going to play. So, no more, no more Cam Rising watch week to week. It's going to be br- the Bryson Barnes show, it looks like, the rest of the way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's really bad. You know, I think, you know, it's not. It's a pretty open secret that no one in USC, you know, the fans are not a fan of this guy. They want this defensive coordinator gone. It didn't work out really well at Oklahoma either. Obviously, Lincoln really trusts this guy. But, I mean, he's wasted a pretty significant window here, it looks like. And one thing I do want to bring up about Lincoln is he made a comment post game that I just when I listened to it I was like that is such a loser mentality. Comes out and says we don't come in every single week talking about winning a national championship, going to the playoffs. I don't know where that narrative starts. That should be your expectation. You're USC. Uh, you have Caleb Williams, the defending Heisman Trophy winner. You have one of the best offenses in college football. How are you not thinking about winning a championship? Shouldn't that be your goal going into the season? Yeah, thank you, Patrick, for bringing that up because I put that in my notes and forgot to talk about it. Yeah, Lincoln after the game was saying all sorts of stuff. Um, Yeah, I mean, first of all, dude, you make like $10 million a year. That's what you're there for. What do you think they're paying you all that money for? You're there to win a national championship. And also, you can't pretend that you're not like, where did that come from? I mean, when he got hired, there's he's on the record of him saying, you know, I'm going to win a championship here like that kind of thing that's that's the way he talked at the beginning that's the way they always talk of course it is and you know he also said something weird about you know uh, talking about last year's team said it overachieved and that raised the expectations to an unrealistic level this year a couple issues with that I think I would argue that last year's team underachieved 
Um, and I don't think there were undue real uh, undue expectations this year. If anything, I think people were questioning this team based on the way they struggled last year. Yeah, especially when you talk about all the weapons that he brought with him from Oklahoma, whether it was in the recruiting class or guys that transferred in with Mario Williams. Uh, when you talked about they brought in Brandon Rice, who transferred over uh, from Colorado. I mean, up and down, this roster was loaded and ready to compete. So, yeah, last year overachieved, no. Uh, once again, a Lincoln Riley team lose lost a a game in the postseason that they had no business losing. Uh, to me, when you when you look at Tulane, which all credit to Tulane and Tajay Sharp and, and the job that you know Fritz was doing down there uh, at Tulane, that is a game on paper that USC should have won and they didn't. And, and also, my last comment on this is it was also a loser mentality from Lincoln Riley to not make any USC players available. Uh, for post-game comments. And, and that's the last thing I'm going to say on this game. It, it was just an absolute joke. Uh, let's talk about Florida State, though. They had to go against Duke. Uh, it looked like Duke was finally going to get their quarterback back, Riley Leonard. Uh, he wasn't able to play the entirety of the game, just still dealing with that high ankle sprain. Um, and that was really what Florida State needed as they really poured it on in the fourth quarter, and that's where they won this football game. Uh, hats off to Jordan Travis and the Knowles for the job that they did uh, beating a really good Duke team who has a really good defense. Yeah, I was a little surprised Riley Leonard even gave it a go in this one, to be honest with you. Um, it kind of sounded like he wouldn't. Credit to him for, you know, uh, gutting it out and playing through the pain. Um, I think he looked a bit limited. I don't I don't think it was uh, severely limited in the first half when he was healthy. You know, it didn't do a ton, but made some plays that kind of had them in the game. You know, they were winning for a while. Um, you know, he, he gets hurt, obviously, unfortunately, re-aggravates that ankle, it seems. Uh, that's tough. You know, it's obviously coming back quickly from a high ankle sprain. So that's concerning, you know, his health moving forward where he's going to be at. Um, but they just ultimately didn't have enough in this game. And I'm not sure it would have made a difference whether Riley Leonard had played the entire game. You know, I think Duke came out really good defensively. I think I expected they would, you know, Mike Elko is a really smart defensive coach. I expected they'd have a good plan. They have good personnel too. So I thought they'd do a good job and they did, you know, they held FSU in check uh, to a decent degree early in the game, but can't hold that team in check forever. Um, especially when you're just operating at a pretty severe talent disadvantage against guys like, you know, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, who Johnny Wilson got hurt in that game uh, has had a couple injury issues this year already. So that's kind of something to monitor, uh, but, you know, with those guys, Jordan Travis, this run game, they're they're just – they're a lot. They're a lot to handle. And, you know, you look at the rest of the schedule for them. I mean, I think it's it's time to start having some real conversations about them because looking at their regular season, the only games that really look like could stand between them and a 12-0 and a run are Miami and Florida. And I think they'll probably be significant favorites in both of those games. So, yeah, I think it's time to start having some serious playoff conversations about this team. Yes, I, I do agree with that. You know, it's uh, just last point on kind of Duke. Um, you know, they they had their opportunities in this game, and even without Riley Leonard in that second half, you know, just hats off to them. But also hats off to the job that Mike Elko is doing. Uh, I think if a team really wants to upgrade their coach, their head coach this offseason, I think Mike Elko might be a guy that they look at. I know he's only in his second year at Duke, uh, but you have to see what he took over and how he turned them around in year one. And they were a, a true contender this year had Riley Leonard not got hurt um, and even looked good with him 
uh, on the sideline at times, but Florida state's a different thing. And I, I think when you look at Florida state and correct me if, if I'm wrong here, or if you have a different opinion, but I think Florida state's one of those teams that you can only hold them down for so long because they have so many weapons and, and Mike Norvell has done a fantastic job really building that program in his image. And now he's got weapons all over the place that he is able to attack. If you take one or two of them away, I mean, Keon Coleman didn't have the impact in this game that I thought he would. Uh, but the rest of the guys around him were ready to roll uh, against Duke. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen two teams come out with a really good defensive game plan for stopping FSU. I think Clemson did it too. Um, and both those teams just got worn down eventually. They couldn't they couldn't keep it up, you know, and, and that's what happens when you've got talent like they do out wide. Um, going back to Mike Elko real quick, Patrick, if they're paying, if they decide to pay a 70-something million dollar buyout out in College Station, Texas A&M coach Mike Elko? Uh, returning to College Station where he was the defensive coordinator before taking the Duke job. Uh, I, I think that they would I, – I think we can all agree that that defense at, in, in Aggieland has gone down since Elko left. Uh, I think we can both agree to that. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And, and if A&M continues to really be a middling program as they have been the last couple of years, do not be surprised if they do – get that money uh, to send Jimbo packing. Uh, talking about Jimbo, let's talk about their rivals, former rivals, Oklahoma, Texas. Both had similar games this week. Uh, now let's talk about Oklahoma real quick. The Sooners' offense is good. We know that. Uh, in the Dylan Gabriel Bowl, because UCF, uh, we saw a game where UCF was was giving it to Oklahoma, and they came close. If it wasn't for one of the most god-awful two-point tries I have ever seen, uh, I, I don't know how you do a uh, option pass or a double lateral or a double pass. In the red zone, especially on a two-point conversion, you only have, like, what, 12 yards of, of, of room there? Uh, one option, that, that was – it was porous to try and tie that game, but uh, – well, but, as we will say, moving forward, survive and advance. That is all that matters at this point. Yeah, tough ending for uh, UCF and what was overall a pretty good effort, I thought, you know, on the road. Um, the, you know, they – so first of all, they've been missing John Rice Plumley. Their uh, starting quarterback's been hurt for most of the season. They got him back in this game. That seems to have made a difference. You know, it's been, it's been a rough go of it for them in Big 12 play, but I think that this team could maybe do something – do something at the end, you know, to end the season and kind of build some momentum the right way, you know, impressed with the way they played. Obviously that two pointer didn't work out. Thought they did have a really well uh, executed onside kick though. After that, they almost got it, got very, very close. So, but yeah, you know, Oklahoma taking care of business, you know, emotional game for Dylan Gabriel, by the way, you know, playing his former team, you know, didn't leave there under bad circumstances, just, you know, emotional circumstances. So, um, yeah, you know, I think good win for Oklahoma. They keep rolling um, against a team that obviously was there to play. And then we had the Texas Longhorns who also um, were able to uh, survive in advance. They beat Houston by seven, which is almost funny and ironic because the Texas Rangers beat the Houston Astros in game six of the ALCS by seven as well. So Houston took two L's uh, this uh, on, over the weekend. Uh, but when we talk about the Texas game, this was interesting because Texas builds a 21-0 lead, and you're almost thinking, oh, here we go. Texas is about to run Houston out of the building. Game completely flips on its head. They were able to – they picked up all the momentum Houston did with two 
two scores within the final six minutes of the first half. Uh, we're able to tie this game up at, at 21 all uh, in the third quarter and even tied it again at 24 in the fourth quarter before Texas ultimately were able to put this game away. But the big key in this, they did survive in advance, but unfortunately uh, the Longhorns might be without star quarterback Quinn Ewers uh, for several weeks uh, as he has a grade two AC joint uh, injury, according to Anwar Richardson of Rivals and uh, Pete Thamel of ESPN. Yeah, I mean, you know, so so we'll get to the Ewers injury in a second, but I think you know, this was a game that, like you said, was sort of looking like it was going to be a game where they weren't going to let Dana come back out and coach the second half. Um, but, you know, look, Houston really fought back in this game. They had a chance to win it. They're, they seem to be figuring something out with Donovan Smith. I feel like this is 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 they might be a little bit close to turning a corner here. And, you know, I, I don't know what they choose to do with Dana. I still don't love the trajectory here long term. I think they could land someone who's much more apt to be successful in terms of like recruiting the state of Texas um, for their, you know, now being in the big 12. But with that being said, I mean, we went into this two week stretch thinking this could spell the end of Dana, you know, playing West Virginia and then Texas, you know, they beat West Virginia. They don't beat Texas, but they play them about as tough as anyone expected they could have. So, you know, I think that it's, you know, maybe they're maybe they're figuring something out a little bit with Dana. Maybe that maybe he's saving himself a little bit there. But yeah, you know, the Ewers injury is tough. You know, it, it's not season ending, it sounds like, but probably will be out for at least several weeks. You know, we saw him miss some time last week that really kind of took the air out of their sails a little bit. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, Malik Murphy, the guy that's going to be playing, uh, not going to be Arch Manning, by the way, anyone who was hoping for that. It's, it's Malik Murphy. He's the backup a guy that they were really high on um, in the offseason. They really liked the way he played in the spring um, in fall camp. So we're kind of kind of going to get the chance to look at him in extended action here uh, in, in however long Ewers is, is gone. Regardless of how Murphy plays in the next several weeks, I guarantee you there are going to be a lot of people talking. They want to see Arch Manning because uh, I mean, there was a lot of talk this offseason. We might see Arch Manning. I, I mean, I, I agree. I think it'll be Murphy. But it'll be really interesting if, if we do see any semblance of Arch Manning uh, over the next several weeks as as Quinn Ewers tries to get back. Because really all right now Texas needs to do is, is just keep this train moving uh, as you look at the remaining schedule that they have. Um, you know, now that the Houston game is done um, – they're going to play against a very bad BYU team. Uh, they're not very good at running the football offensively. They're just not great, um, which I think will play right into Texas' hand because they have a pretty aggressive defense, um, and I think that they can make some plays there. The, the game that I think will determine if Texas is going to be back in the Big 12 title hunt is going to be November 4th against Kansas State. That would be the game that I'm circling Um Texas has done well beating Kansas State consistently over the years. Uh, but this Kansas State team, they look pretty good, and they look like they're ready to make a run back to the Big 12 title game. Yeah, just on Kansas State real quick, you know, defending title, uh, defending Big 12 champion, you know, earlier in the year we kind of wrote them off. They lost a couple games. You know, those losses now are Missouri, who is very good, it looks like. Um, and then, you know, Oklahoma State, who is – figuring things out a little bit. They're five and two. They've played a lot better in recent weeks and Kansas state looks really good. You know, they're coming off a big win. So I think, yeah, that's, I mean, 
I think we probably thought going into the year that this was Texas or Kansas State um, in the conference. No one really saw the emergence of Oklahoma coming, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think Kansas State still remains in that mix. And if you get the win over Texas, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. If you get the the win over Texas, I think that that throws you right back in. And let's talk about a team who was really good last year and is now starting to fall off a little bit. Let's talk about Tennessee. Uh, they're a team. They jump out to a twenty to seven lead over Alabama uh, in the retribution game for Alabama, who lost fifty two forty nine last year. This game wasn't as high scoring as that one, uh, but it looked good early for the Vols at twenty to seven, and then they don't score again. Alabama absolutely stifled them in, in that third and fourth quarter. It was all Alabama as they win this game 34-20. to 20. Talk about a team that's figuring it out. Alabama sitting at 7-1, and 5-0 in, in SEC play. I feel like they're figuring things out and who they are and what they can do down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, before I talk about Alabama, I do want to give Tennessee some credit, actually, because – I, I was not very optimistic about their chances in this game. I expected it to be a lower scoring game than last year's was. And I didn't think that game state would go well for them. Um, and it didn't ultimately, but I thought for a while it looked like it could have, you know, they had, like you said, the 20 to seven lead. That's the biggest halftime deficit. Alabama has it to overcome at home since 1995. So they had them on the ropes, you know, they had them on the ropes. They had a chance. Uh, you know, I mean, I thought Joe Milton had a good game. You know, he, I was not very optimistic about how they would play against this defense and he had a good game and really leaned on their receivers who we've had questions about this year, you know, with what they lost. I think that we thought it was a downgrade, especially with Brew McCoy being injured. Squirrel White was fantastic in this game, made some huge plays that kept them in the game, but Alabama defensively way too strong ultimately to overcome Jalen Milrow does enough. You know, we don't really ever see him take over a game passing the ball, but he did enough in this game. Uh, and they ran the ball really well with Jace McClellan and, and got some production from the passing game or the receivers, I should say too. So I think that, yeah, like it, it pretty encouraging for Alabama. They seem to be figuring things out, uh, you know, spoiler, they got the buy and then an LSU game that I'm actually not that optimistic for Alabama about. I kind of like LSU in that game. We'll talk more about that next week, but yeah, I mean, pretty clear that this could very easily be an Alabama team that runs that, that, that you know, wins out if they can beat LSU at home. Yeah, and then we'll see how it sets up. It's probably going to be against Georgia in the SEC title game. We'll see. But uh, once again, Will Reichert, uh, the all-time leading scorer in SEC play, uh, continued to do what he did. He had a 50-yard field goal uh, late in that game. Um, and then, obviously, they had the scoop and score to kind of put things away midway through the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah, you, you really have to like what they were able to do. They're they're figuring things out. You know, I think they're getting more out of Jermaine Burton than maybe we had saw in year one and even earlier in the year. I think as the weeks go on, he's starting to look better. Uh, obviously, it, I mean, it is clear uh, that Jalen Milrow is the best quarterback for this offense right now. And and they're they're hitting their stride, like you said, and we'll see how it looks in a couple of weeks um, because I think that LSU game is going to tell us everything about, you know, who's going to the SEC title game. Um, and, and really it's two different schools of thought. You have the high-flying offense of LSU, Jaden Daniels against the more ground-and-pound type of offense with and, and really team playing good defense with Alabama. That's going to be a great game. But like you said, we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. Let's talk about a team that didn't have a great time this past weekend. North Carolina Tar Heels lose to Virginia. And 
I got to tell you, this was the shocker of the week because I thought going into this game, no way does North Carolina uh, lose their undefeated mark to Virginia. Yeah, uh, tough, tough, tough loss for North Carolina at home to at home. That's brutal. I mean, for they were six and zero. I think uh, I was ready to start believing in them as, as a you know legit ACC contender and possible playoff contender. I mean, that's still on the table for them, like mathematically speaking. But man, this was a bad loss. Um, credit to Virginia. I mean, huge win for Tony Elliott. You know, a guy that I'm not sure we've talked about it before in the show. I'm not sure he's really being evaluated under football terms yet. Um, but that's going to come, you know, that's going to happen at some point, you know, in, in the relatively near future and having a win like this really will go a long way for him, you know, emotional win, you know, Mike Hollins, the guy who the running back who survived that shooting, you know, had three touchdowns in this game. Great moment for him. Great moment for this program. You know, Drake may made his plays, but he only completed 50% of his passes. This defense really stepped up, got the stops when it needed to. I don't know if this is the kind of result that's going to like spark some sort of late season turnaround for Virginia. I don't really know if that's in the cards just based on the personnel they have, but going on the road and winning this game was just phenomenal for Tony Elliott and this team. Yeah. And and look at North Carolina. They had three drives after Virginia took that lead with eight fifty one left in the fourth quarter. First drive, three plays, negative 11 yards. They got to punt the ball away. They get the ball again with about under five minutes. Um, and that ends with a turnover on downs, a six-play drive that went 60 yards. You know, But they still had an opportunity with a minute and 12 left. They forced Virginia to punt the ball to them. And then a uh, five-play drive that ends in an interception, and that's the game uh, for, for North Carolina. Uh, they had opportunities in this game, but – for whatever reason, it, Virginia had their number in this game. It, 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 I, don't, I don't know how to how to fathom it because if you look at Virginia, Virginia is a team that I felt has been lost all year. And correct me if I'm wrong, they they lost to James Madison early in the they year. Did. They did lose um, James Madison. You know, credit to James Madison; they're an incredible program, um, and, and they're doing fantastic since coming up to the FBS level. But when you look at Virginia, I mean, if you look at some of the losses that they had. And you look at how talented North Carolina is, especially with Tez Walker and Drake May, and the list goes on and on about their weapons. I really don't know how they lost this football game. No, it's inexplicable. It's, it feels like, I mean, it, I mean, tell me if you feel differently, but doesn't this kind of feel like just the quintessential Mac Brown at UNC game? Like they've always been solid and they always feel like they're so close. And then there's just like one game. They can't do it. They, they stumble in, you know, against a team they should beat and it, and it costs them, holds them back. You know, I, I mean, this is a team that would have been in the top 10, you know, was in the top 10, would have been higher in the top 10 if they had won this game, you know, big opportunity later in the season when they play uh, Clemson, you know, to, to kind of clinch the division, they still could do all that. But like, I mean, and they could still, I guess, theoretically be a playoff team if they win this conference, but the margin for error is completely gone now um, because you lost to a team. You just had absolutely no business losing to at home. It's tough. Yeah. And if you want to be a playoff team, you know, especially in North Carolina, you're going to have to get beyond Florida state, uh, you know, but even beyond Florida State, you have Washington, Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama, Oregon, all ahead of them right now um, with probably a stronger uh, resume. So it, it's top sledding. I think North Carolina is 
if they want to be a playoff team, they've got to beat Florida State, and then they're probably going to have to beat them again if they get to the ACC championship game. So they, they don't play Florida State in the regular season. Okay, they, they play don't play Clemson. Clemson. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they could okay. beat if they beat Clemson. They should if they went out beating Clemson. They should win. They should make it to the ACC championship where they would in all likelihood play Florida State. So I mean they could they could very easily in theory go eleven and one win the ACC twelve and one. They're probably in the playoff if they do that. But I mean that's we'll see. You know you lose to Virginia. I don't think anything's a given at that point. Yeah, you're right. I was I had the wrong schedule up. Uh, but yeah, I mean they got winnable games next couple of weeks. Georgia Tech, Campbell. Um, then they play Duke. That's going to be a tough one for them. And then at Clemson and at NC State to end the the season. Um, And then if they make it to the ACC title game, yeah, Florida State, who who has looked really good this year. I mean, they've kind of – we've had games where they've struggled, but they keep winning, and that's all you've got to do is to keep winning. Uh, It's going to be tough for North Carolina. I think this this loss really, really hurt them in a lot of ways, not just in the win-loss, but as far as their aspirations – of getting into the college football playoff. Obviously, it's going to become a lot easier next season when they move to the 12-team playoff. Uh, but this year for the four-team invitational, uh, it doesn't look good for them. You know, but that that's going to do it for this edition of the College 12-Pack. We will be back on Wednesday, um, and, and you can download the podcast, listen to us on Thursday as we get you ready for week nine of the college football, uh, college football landscape. Tyler, I'm Patrick. We'll see you on Wednesday.